0: I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today we're going to be in Matthew 23. Now. If you're not familiar with Matthew, where Matthew's at, let me give you some advice. Uh, if you're in a physical Bible, just open up to the Table of Contents. That is by far the easiest way to find the books of the Bible. Uh, let's be honest, the Bible is big. There are lots and lots of books. As a matter of fact, there are 66 books in the Bible. So uh, there's no shame in going to the Table of Contents. But today we're in Matthew, so go to the Table of Contents. Uh, in the Table of Contents, you'll notice that there are two uh, breakouts, two sections to the Bible. The first section is called the Old Testament, and the second section is called the New Testament. Now, Matthew's in the New Testament, uh, so locate the New Testament. Matthew is the first book of that section. Uh, So find Matthew under the New Testament, go to that page number, and then flip through until you get to chapter 23. Now, if you're in an app, just pull down the list of the books of the Bible, and you'll find Matthew is a little around two-thirds of the way down that list. So Matthew chapter 23 now you may notice i'm uh, i'm styling today i look good in my shades and uh, my future's so bright that i need to wear shades uh, old 80s reference i'm so old anyways uh, i'm wearing these sunglasses to make a point today uh, you may look at them and you may you may notice that up in one corner it says that these are ray-ban sunglasses but I'm gonna be completely honest with you. There is a story behind these sunglasses. I bought these sunglasses when I took a trip to Albania. I used to do some mission work there and uh, we went on this trip to Albania. It was a great trip, but while we were there, we we went and visited this this area of town that was near a tourist uh, uh, section of the city. And along one of the streets, there were these vendors, you know, souvenirs and tchotchkes and all the, the kind of things that you find in a tourist trap. And one of the vendors had sunglasses. And I stopped by and, and were just perusing through what sunglasses they had. And I noticed they had a lot of name brand sunglasses. They had Oakley's and Ray-Ban's and uh, all these other different types of sunglasses. And these caught my eye. And I pulled them off the rack and recognized that they were 5 $5. Now, I hope you recognize that a $5 pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses actually doesn't exist. These sunglasses are counterfeits. You know, in an international country, they can take a pair of sunglasses like these and slap a Ray-Ban logo on them and sell them as Ray-Ban sunglasses, but they're not made by Ray-Ban. They're they're not actual, authentic Ray-Ban sunglasses. And I bought them because uh, I thought they looked kind of cool um, they 're terrible sunglasses i 'll be honest with you when I put them on everything 's blurry because the lenses are are cheap uh, the The frame is actually a little uncomfortable i don 't like wearing them very often because they pinch in the in the back of my head and uh, i i 'll be honest these sit in a uh, in a closet in my house because I never wear them you can 't see through them and They're really uncomfortable and uh, I just, quite frankly, I don't like them. They're not a good quality. They're counterfeits. And there are lots of counterfeits in our lives, aren't there? There are lots of things that look like something original, but in reality, they're a fake. They're posing as a reality, but they're not the real thing. And, And Uh, Last week, we talked about the counterfeit fruit. Now, let me back up two weeks. And because two weeks ago, we talked about how we are dependent on Jesus for everything. And we unpacked the parable of the good sower. Go back a couple of weeks to the the sermon if you didn't listen to that one. The parable of the sower, Jesus tells the story about a farmer that spreads seed. and, And the seed falls on four different types of soils on one One set of seed falls along a path and birds come and and take it up. And then another falls in rocky ground and it sprouts up, but doesn't have good roots. And so it it gets burned away. And then another uh, set of seed falls in with a bunch of thorns and thistles and they get choked out. But then there's a a set of the seed that falls on good soil. And that seed that falls on the good soil produces lots of fruit, lots of produce. And we are, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be good fruit, meaning that we're supposed to produce fruit in our lives. And last week we talked about how there are counterfeit fruit in our lives. There are things in our lives that we think are producing good things that we think there is security in that we think is real faith. But in reality, it's distracting us or pulling, away, pulling us away from true faith. Just like these sunglasses are not the real thing, counterfeit fruit looks so much like the real thing it sounds so christian it sounds so biblical or it maybe looks like something that we can place trust in or or lean into or, or that our desire is is to lean into that and last week we talked about how fear does that inside of us whether we like it or not fear and even sometimes anger becomes a counterfeit fruit It's something we produce because we're depending on the wrong thing in our life. And today, I wanna talk about the counterfeit fruit of moralism, moralism. Moralism is the idea that you think you're such a good person that you depend on that goodness, you, you depend on that moral behavior to be in right standing with God. In other words, You depend on all of the things you do to make God proud of you or to earn your way into God's good graces. Uh, Listen what Philippians 3 verses 8 through 9 says about this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or comes from doing good things, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, Philippians 3, 8, and 9 is very clear that our dependency is not on what we can do. It's not on the good things that we do. It's not in the money that we donate, the time that we serve. Our righteousness, our good standing in front of God is dependent on our faith in God. Moralism is depending or placing faith uh, in staying in God's good graces by doing good things. It's, it's thinking, if I just do the right thing, God will like me, God will favor me, God will bless me. But there, that's not how this works. It, it's not what the Bible says about salvation. Salvation only comes through Jesus. Salvation can only be attained through belief and faith in Jesus. Your good works and my good works are trash. They aren't worth anything. Now, let me just take a side note here for just a moment. Our good works are a result of true faith. When we have faith in Jesus, when we truly believe and truly have faith and truly love Christ, then our life will produce good fruit. It will produce good things, good deeds, good actions. But those good deeds and good actions aren't what save us. What saves us is our belief, our faith in Jesus. One of the symptoms of moralism, remember moralism is this idea and this dependency on good works. One of the symptoms of moralism is legalism. Now, legalism is the overemphasis on being moral to the point that you add to God's word and you judge those who don't live above and beyond the way you do or the way you think you should. You see, legalism is when we add rules to God's already perfect word and we make ourselves seem better because we've added these rules. Uh, There's nothing wrong with having healthy boundaries to keep you away from temptation, but it's when we take those extra rules that we've added and we place them as important or as authoritative as God's word. That's legalism. You see, these rules are always based on the Bible, but they're not actually found in the Bible. And, And so, Jesus's day, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, etc, in Jesus's day, these religious leaders were very legalistic. they had added hundreds of rules to God's word in order to keep people from disobeying God's law. Hey, uh, one of the terms that a, a Jewish friend of mine uh, he's actually visited and spoken at our church, Rabbi Jack Rabbi Jack talks about how all of these extra rules this legalism created what he calls what the jewish people call a fence around the torah the torah being the laws of god the, the, this legalism was designed to create a fence so that you could never get outside uh, and break god's law it was designed to keep you as far away from sin as possible you see these religious leaders of Jesus's day were really good at adding extra rules. They were really good at moralism and legalism. You know, they, they, they tried their best to be as sinless as possible. But in doing so, they heaped up unnecessary rules on themselves and on the people. For example, uh, on the Sabbath, According to the rules, these extra rules of the Pharisees and other religious leaders, on the Sabbath day, the day of rest for the Jewish people, you could pull an animal that had fallen in a ditch, you could pull that animal out of the ditch, but you couldn't bandage a person's wound because they believed that practicing medicine, doing something medically, like bandaging a wound or or straightening a bone that had been broken, anything that had to do with helping or healing the human body, that was considered work. And so you could pull a cow out of a ditch, but you couldn't heal, bandage a person's injury because medicine, doing medicine, helping and healing, that was work. You see, they were so worried about breaking the fourth commandment, which is uh, uh, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, don't work on it. They were so overly concerned about not uh, disobeying that rule that they had forgotten uh, how to com- have compassion for people. I mean, think about it. They're, they're almost placing more value On an animal, a cow, you could pull a cow out of a ditch, but you couldn't bandage a person's wounds. It's almost as if they valued an animal more than fellow humans, fellow people. Their obsession with following the rules killed their compassion. And so their moralism and their legalism, according to Jesus, had actually made them farther from God. not not closer, not more obedient. It had pushed them away from God. And we're gonna unpack this. So uh, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, we're gonna read starting in verse 23, but let me tell you about this chapter. Jesus has been uh, teaching for a while in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, He's been doing miracles. He's been doing all this great stuff in the city. And, And he comes to this point where he he starts kind of condemning the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, the other religious leaders. He condemns them for many of the things that they were doing and the hurt that they were causing to the kingdom of God. And so this chapter in many of your Bibles, it may be called, the uh, seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, It's the seven woes. And so Jesus seven times says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. And he gives this explanation of why he says woe to them. Uh, Let me tell you what the seven woes are. They shut people out of God's kingdom. They lead their followers away from truly following God. They valued superficial things of the world rather than the things that God placed value on. They neglected the important elements of God's word so that they could value their legalism. They practiced hypocrisy. And lastly, they denied their depravity. But I'm gonna focus on one that's in the middle, the the seventh one that I didn't actually mention. I'm gonna focus on this one in verse 23. So read with me, verse 23, it says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, You hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Look at verse what, the next verse, verse 24. Look at what it says. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, let me unpack what what Jesus is teaching here. You see, uh, in verse 24, he he gives this illustration of them straining a gnat, yet swallowing a camel. You see, both of these creatures, a gnat, a fly, and a camel, both of them were forbidden. In in Leviticus 11, they were both forbidden from being eaten. You couldn't eat a camel, and you couldn't eat any insect that flew but didn't have uh, jumping legs like a grasshopper. Uh, or or a locust or something. And and so they weren't allowed to eat gnats and they weren't allowed to eat camels. And the practice was in this day and time, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, uh, before they would drink uh, the wine that they had at a meal, they would take their cup and cover it with like cheesecloth, what we would call cheesecloth today. They would cover it with some cloth and they would pour the wine through the cloth into the cup so that they could strain out any flies that had accidentally gotten in the wine vat or, or the wine pitcher, and they could strain it out so that they wouldn't accidentally ingest one of these gnats. So they would strain out the gnats out of their wine. But, but think about this for a second. They, they would do this, and Jesus is mocking this action to, to make a point. He's not mocking that they're making sure that their wine is free of bugs. He's saying that you're, you pay so much attention to straining out this gnat so that you don't accidentally swallow this teensy tiny little bug. And then yet you do all this over this uh, to prevent something accidental from happening. And yet you are eating a camel. Now tell me, can you accidentally swallow a camel? Of course not. And so Jesus is mockingly looking at them saying, you guys are hypocritical. You're, you're, doing, you're going above and beyond to strain out the gnats, the little things, the accidental things, the things that aren't truly as important to God. And by doing so, you've lost focus of the things that are important to God, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You're almost intentionally committing these sins of being unjust, uh, being, being merciless, being unfaithful. You're almost intentionally doing those so that you can make sure that you don't accidentally disobey these tiny little things. And so they intentionally broke parts of God's law that God valued so that they could avoid accidentally breaking God's law that they valued. And so moralism and legalism look a lot like the real thing. What the Pharisees were doing seemed very good. They were adding all these rules so that they could distance themselves from sin. And that sounds like a good thing and it can be a good thing. Don't misunderstand me. But they were obsessed with all of these extra rules. They were making these extra rules as authoritative as God's word itself. And that's where they had stepped a step too far. They'd gone too far with this. Jesus makes it clear in this passage and in many others. If you go and read through the the four gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament, these biographies of Jesus tell us that Jesus condemned the Pharisees for these things many times through his ministry. And Jesus makes it clear that moralism and legalism do not produce good fruit. Your morality does not get you into heaven. Your good things, your good deeds, your giving to the poor, the time you serve, the the ways that you sacrifice and give, those things are great, but they don't save you. They don't give you heaven. They don't give you eternal life. And this brings me to today's big idea. If you've ever listened to one of my messages, you know that uh, I usually give one simple statement uh, that's the main idea, the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is this. Heaven is not for rule followers. Heaven is for Jesus followers. Let that sink in for a minute. Heaven's not for good for, for, for rule followers, heaven is for Jesus followers. Now, are Jesus followers people who will follow the rules? Yes, Jesus himself said, if you love me, you'll do what I command. But if you're depending on the obedience to the rules to save you, then that's not going to get you salvation. It's not going to get you eternal life. It's only through having Jesus in your life, believing in him, following him, that you can be saved, that you can be rescued from your sins. You see, hell is filled with a lot of people that were really obedient, that followed all of the rules and yet did not know and did not depend on Jesus. Rule following is not gonna get you to heaven. We must be cautious in placing our, our faith on our good deeds, on our morals. Only faith in Jesus can save us. It's not about what you do, it's about who you know. It's about believing in Jesus. And maybe you're watching right now, and maybe you're having a moment where you're saying, Maybe I've depended on my good deeds. Maybe I've leaned into thinking that if I'm a good person, then Jesus will let me get into heaven. And Maybe you're realizing, maybe you're recognizing right now that Jesus doesn't want your good works. He wants your life. He wants your commitment, your faith. Good works come out of that. Good works are a result of our belief in Jesus. But our good works do not lead us to heaven. And maybe you're here today and maybe that's what you've always believed. Maybe you've believed that you could get to heaven because you were a good person. And maybe you're realizing that that is a lie. And if that's you, if you want to know more about Jesus, or maybe you're coming to a place where you're recognizing that maybe you had it wrong, or maybe you're watching or listening and maybe you've got questions. If that's you, please reach out to us. Uh, In the post of this video, there's a a little link there that that is called a virtual or an online connect card. I want you to click that link right now. Go do it, go down to the post, click on that virtual or online connect card, click on that, it's gonna take you to our website, to the contact us page. I want you to fill that out, reach out to us, I will contact you as soon as possible because I would love to answer any questions that you may have about Jesus and following him. So don't hesitate to reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about what following Jesus looks like. So so don't hesitate to reach out. Now, now some of you though, maybe watching or listening, and maybe you're thinking, what if I'm a moralist? How do I know? What, what kind of things do I need to be watching out for that show that I'm a moralist or a legalist? Well, I think I've got some questions that you could answer that might help you to understand whether you're leaning into moralism or legalism for your salvation rather than depending on Jesus for your salvation. So how can you tell if you're a moralist or a legalist? Well, ask yourself one of these questions. Do I determine whether God likes me or not based on how well I've kept the rules? In other words, do you find yourself going, oh man, I did really good following the rules today. Jesus must be so loving on me. He must really like, and, like me and love me right now. Or, or do you have days where you go, man, I, I, I sinned and God must not love me anymore as a result that's moralism. Your deeds, good or bad, do not determine Jesus' love for you. Jesus loves you just as you are. He does expect you to grow and become more like him and mature in faith, but he's not expecting perfection. He's expecting progress. So do you determine whether God likes you or not based on how you've kept the rules. That's question one. Question two, do I think my effort has something to do with staying saved? In other words, do you look at your life and go, oh man, if I don't really shape up, I'm gonna lose my salvation or God's not gonna let me into heaven. Because again, that's not how it works. That's moralism. Uh, Next question, is my prayer life affected by how good I think I've been? In other words, when you mess up, when you sin, do you go uh, in the back of your mind and do you think, oh man, I've sinned, I've messed up. Oh no, what am I gonna do? Or do you sin, do you mess up and in the back of your mind tell yourself, oh, I messed this up, I sinned. I need my father. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. Next question. Do I pass judgment on people for their actions without thinking about compassion? You know, it's it's really easy to judge the people around us and go, oh, they're not as good as I am. Oh man, I would never make that decision. I would never fall into that sin. Uh, Too often we get judgy when we look at the lives of other people and we think we're better than they are, or vice versa, we look at our own life and go, oh, I wish I could be like that person. And we begin to judge ourselves based on our moral behaviors rather than our faith in Jesus. Please hear me, your value as a follower of Jesus is not in your good works. Your value in Jesus is based on the love of Jesus. Jesus loves you right where you are. Again, he wants you to grow, he wants you to mature, he wants you to uh, be moral, he wants you to do good, but your good deeds or lack of good deeds do not determine Jesus' love for you. Last question, do I think getting fed in Bible study is more important than serving and witnessing? I get asked all the time, which is more important? What's more important, pastor? Is it more important to study God's word and have good theology, good beliefs about the Bible and about God and Jesus and and spiritual things? Or is it more important to serve? Is it more important to witness? I I love the way that um, Spurgeon put it. Spurgeon was a, a very famous preacher from a few hundred years ago. And Spurgeon was asked similar questions. And he said this, When I get asked questions like that, I respond by saying, which is more important, breathing in or breathing out? If you hold your breath, you're going to die. Whether you're holding a breath in or you've let the breath out and you need to let air back in, both are vitally important to survival. You can't have one without the other. Knowing God's word is so important, but witnessing and serving are just as important. But if you're a moralist or a legalist, you tend to place a higher value, whether you recognize it or not, whether you would actually say it or not, your life shows it that you value Bible study more than serving, more than witnessing. You can't have one without the other. They're all valuable. They're all important. So that's a few ways to explore whether or not you might be a moralist or a legalist. So once you've recognized whether you are or not, and let me be totally honest, all of us are a little bit moralistic or legalistic. We all have those tendencies inside of us. And so we can all benefit from the steps that we can take to overcome being moralistic or legalistic. So what are those steps? How can we overcome moralism and legalism? Well, first, recognize that you are not perfect. None of us are. None of us can achieve perfection. Only Jesus is perfect. We are simply doing the best that we can, living our lives for Jesus the best that we can. And so uh, recognize that you're not perfect. You are a sinner. You owe Jesus a debt that you can never pay. Jesus paid the ultimate price. And we're going to get to that in just a second. You owe him a debt that you could never repay. You could never do enough good deeds. You could never give enough money. You could never serve enough in the church to pay the debt that you owe to Jesus Christ. So first... The first step to overcome your moralistic tendencies is to recognize that you are not perfect. The second thing is to recognize who Jesus is in your life. He's not a good teacher, although he is a good teacher, but ultimately he is your Lord and your master and your savior and nothing less. He is God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he invites you to believe in him, to know him. So recognize that you're not perfect. Recognize who Jesus is in your life. And lastly, recognize the work of the cross. Recognize the work of the cross. I mentioned earlier that you owe a debt to Jesus that you could never repay. You could never do enough good things to pay back this debt. But guess what? Jesus paid that debt for you. When he died on that cross and rose from the grave on the third day, he paid your debt. He rescued you from your indebtedness. Uh, Your indebtedness has a price, an eternal price. And if you don't have that indebtedness paid by Jesus through believing in him, then you will pay an eternal price. You will pay for eternity through punishment and death. And so you need Jesus because he paid the debt for you on that cross. You don't just, Jesus isn't just a good idea. Jesus is a necessity. You need Jesus if you want eternal life. So my encouragement to you today is don't fall for the counterfeits. Being a good moral person is great, but it doesn't save you. It is a counterfeit to the true thing, which is believing in Jesus. Now, believing in Jesus, again, will result in good deeds and good works. But ultimately, believing that your good works can save you, that you will be going to heaven because you're a good person, is counterfeit fruit. It's not the real thing. It looks a lot like the real thing. It sounds very Jesus-y. It sounds very churchy. It sounds very biblical, but it's not. Heaven is not filled with rule followers. Heaven is filled with Jesus followers. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And we pray that you would help us to understand and recognize our moralistic and legalistic tendencies. Help us to understand that those things will never save us. It's only through believing in Jesus, through dedicating our lives, committing our lives to Jesus, that we can be saved. And our prayer today is that you would do just that. Save us from our sins. Rescue us from from the consequences of our sins so that we can have eternal life with you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.